What's going on, everybody? This is Black Men Sundays. I'm your host, Corey Sylvester Murray. This is a show about generational wealth, about business, about finance. I introduced you guys to Gregory Stevens. This guy's got over 20 years of experience in financial services. This brothers works with Morgan, J.P. Morgan Chase back in 93, back when it was Bank One if y'all even on that level. Um, his brother also worked for Wells Fargo Advisors Financial Network. And uh, just so you know, if anybody in here from Ohio, this brother's got the uh, Kaleidoscope Magazine's 4040 Club and the recipient of the Community Champion Award for Outstanding Service. So, you know, it's, it's without further ado, I welcome you guys, his brother, my coworker, connecting me to him and I'm very grateful and you guys will be too after you hear him speak today uh without further ado Gregory Stevens yeah thank you brother Corey appreciate that um so what I understood from Corey is that the primary conversation is going to be around wealth building generational wealth and that's a broad conversation so the first thing I wanted to do is to focus on the actual process of will building wealth and the first stage of building wealth is called the accumulation phase. And this is where we as black people both fall short and have been led to fall short. So accumulation means that at some point you have to accumulate enough assets in order to build wealth. And through that accumulation of those assets, they should be assets that have the potential to increase in value over time or to provide a current income and increase in value over time. The most common asset that all of us strive for first and foremost is the purchase and the ownership of a home. And that home is what gives you that ground, that first asset that you can use. And if properly managed, maintain, and have the debt properly managed, you can use that to leverage purchasing and accumulating additional assets that have the potential to increase in value. And as you're accumulating those assets over time, the whole purpose of those assets is to be distributed to yourself to offset whatever future expenses you have. So the goal is to accumulate enough assets and to reduce the debt required to accumulate those assets to zero. That means that at some point you need to have a plan in place that you are completely debt free and liquid that you have accumulated enough assets that have the potential to either generate income, increase in value, or do both over time, and enough that they offset all of your expenses and anything that you want to do for the rest of your life so that you no longer have to put in manual labor. All of the assets that you have accumulated are generating enough revenue to support your lifestyle, and if you work hard enough, the lifestyle of your future generations. And that's where generational wealth comes into play, because as Black people, first, we were not offered inheritance. So when you're talking about accumulating wealth, you either have to work for it or have it given to you or have it um, inherited. And so we don't have that inheritance as a primary source of income. So we have to work for it. But where we fall short is in that accumulation process, we tend to accumulate more assets that decrease immediately in value and that provide no growth over time and that provide no income for the current use. So where you wanna focus is on that accumulation phase and establishing all the things you have to have in place to 
work your way through that accumulation phase. And that's establishing good credit, having enough income to support whatever those dollar amounts are that you plan on spending, because there is no right or wrong. There is no magic number. Everybody is different. So one of the first things I do is ask people to take a look at what are your current expenses, list them all down, then take a look at what are those expenses that you can reduce or eliminate. And as you reduce and eliminate those, make that a temporary situation to allow you to accumulate more assets so that it no longer becomes an issue, meaning that your assets are providing everything for you and you are now living your life comfortably. So now that you've accumulated those assets, of course, you're going to distribute them to yourself, which is the second phase, the distribution phase. The last phase is the other phase that we fail to um, take advantage of, and that's the transfer phase. Nobody likes to talk about the ultimate death. We are all born to die. And when we die, you have to have documents in place. One, to make sure that your wishes are carried out as long as you are alive. And God forbid something should happen to you of a physical or health nature. But you also need to make sure that those assets that you worked hard to accumulate are going to be transferred in the way that you want and not based on your state's law. So it's very important that you have a state planning documents in place which include either a living will and or a trust, a durable power of attorney with regards to your finance and a healthcare power of attorney with regards to the decisions for your health and how you want to be sustained for life or not sustained for life. And then lastly, as you're planning for those things, do you wanna leave some sort of a legacy either in the way of your children or in the way of an endowment or whatever that case may be? Um, personally, as I'm going through the plan of life, um, legacies are going to be the things that I've worked hard to and who have supported me, and I may consider leaving some of those things to them. But I never really plan to leave anything for children, because the goal is that those children should ultimately be grown. So you want to have some sort of insurance in place, and insurance is actually a vehicle to protect those assets. And you notice that this whole conversation is centered around assets. The whole constitution has been put in place to support white male property owners. Assets are property. So any effect that you can own property, you have basically even the battlefield for whatever politician is in place. They're gonna always put policies in place to support what used to be white male property owners, but what is now our mission to become property owners in the same vein. The last thing before I finish or open up the questions is I want each of you to Google the term accredited, A-C-C-R-E-D-I-T-E-D. -E -E the other barrier that we as black folks have is access to capital. And what they've done is in the way of assuming risk, They've said that we don't want people to risk their money. So in order for you to participate in these large capital, new company building activities, you have to be what we call accredited. You have to have made somewhere in the neighborhood of over $200,000 in the last three years. You need to have a million dollars of investable assets or $5 million of investable assets. So my whole point is that we should strive to become accredited. We should strive to have access to those large dollars, similar to what you see them talking about on uh, something like Shark Tank. In order to get into that room, you have to be accredited. We do have the ability 
to form that room on our own. And so there are ways to create smaller pools of dollars. That is also where unfortunately we tend to fall short as black people because the accumulation of dollars means that there has to be a trust factor. And as you know, we've been raised for 400 years to not trust one another. But if you can put each other's dollars together, you can do far more than trying to do something on your own with these little individual dollars. So pooling dollars together is a major factor. Making sure that you have everything in place to protect those assets as you accumulate them. Make sure that you've got a plan in place for how you want to distribute those assets and more importantly, how you want to transfer those assets and how you want to have your wishes carried out throughout the whole time that you are uh, alive. And so with that, I just kind of want to also open it up to questions that anybody has. Yeah, I'll get it started. So, you know, a lot of brothers, you know, when I talk to them about wealth building, we talk about home ownership. First thing that I hear is I can't afford a house. I can't afford to buy a property. My credit's not right. What do you say to those? Who told them that? Who told them that? That's what they're telling me. And there's and a reason I'm spoken, I say I'm that. For a lot of, I mean, even, and I could even personalize myself. I mean, I'm a recent homeowner, but, you know, the way I was raised, my mother, my grandmother's always rented. Um, and they've always said, oh, I don't buy anything. You buy it, a pipe burst, you're not going to be able to afford it. So, but you know, I don't mean to I cut you off. I, was- I don't mean to cut you off. But two things you just said there. One, you said, who mentioned that to you? My mother and grandmother. So generationally, mm. we have been conditioned. Now, you understand the slave mentality starts with taking the male, beating the shit out of him so that the mother sees your male being jeopardized and they will do everything to avoid you from going through the harm of that male getting beat. Allah, I don't want you to have the harm of having to fix your stuff. Cause that's what I heard you say. Well, if you own it, you gotta fix it and maintain it. Yeah, but where does that mentality come from? And that's what I always struggle with. We have a mentality block. Do you know how easy it is to get a house versus anything else that you're gonna purchase? It's the easiest purchase that you can make with regards to credit requirements. You need zero down. If you're a first time homeowner, homeowner, there are programs out there, but we are not trained to seek that information out. But it's easier to get, if you can get into an apartment, you can get into a house. Now, you're paying the same dollar amount to rent. That's where planning comes into play. If I have proper credit, I don't care if anything breaks, I'll put it on credit because it shouldn't be breaking every year. I'm accumulating the type of things in my house that I'm taking care of. Okay, it's a new house. Maybe it's an old water pipe, an old water heater, but that has uh, information that tells you how long that water heater should last. When was it purchased? When was it made? How long does it last? Everything has a useful life purchase. We just don't plan for it. But owning a house is easier than renting. And, and, and you have something that's going to increase in value if it's well-maintained. And it's not so hard to get into a house. There are programs where they want you to get in the house. Some of them are just foul, where you have to understand the terms and conditions and understand the cost of money versus the growth of money. Understand fixed costs versus variable costs, because we get caught up in not understanding the terms and conditions. I can afford it, but I don't understand that the interest rate is going to change over time. If it changes over time, it has the potential to go up, which is more likely than going down. 
that means that my payments are gonna increase whenever that certain period locks up. But understanding and having somebody that you can trust in to explain that is another problem that we have because we're often taken advantage of. But I really wanna stress, I don't care what the circumstances are, own versus rent. You're never gonna convince me that owning is worse than uh, renting. But what do you say to the brothers that say, listen, buying a house, I'm gonna have to spend this money that I don't really have. Um, you know, because when we talk about building generational wealth, you know, like I said, we've been doing this since January and every speaker, when we talk about generational wealth, always, you know, they've mentioned stocks as well, but the number one thing they always mention is home ownership, land ownership. The brother last week basically said he owned like five locations, sold them, made money off of that. So what do you take, say to the brothers that say, okay, yeah, I see the you know, you, you paid nothing for the down payment, but once you fill the paperwork out and, you know, there is a down payment associated. That's where you have to understand the terms and conditions. If that's the case, then that's not the lender you want to work with. And you have to have the ability and you have to take the initiative to seek out the programs that are going to fit your needs. Am I a veteran? Are there veteran programs out there? Am I a first time homeowner? But the main thing is we're adults. So I bet if I was trying to save enough money to get some Jordans, and I'm using that exaggerating to make a point. If I know I need to save enough money to buy a house and it's going to cost me X amount of dollars, I'm a numbers guy. So that's where I can go down my whole list of my expenses and say, is there anything that I can reduce or eliminate that will create the dollars for me to accumulate enough for that down payment? And I begin my plan based on my reality. If it's $50 a month and I need $5,000 and I'm going to need $50 a month aside until I have $5,000. So again, there's no excuse. If that's how long it's going to take, you plan it and make it happen. And every year, readjust your plan. But to say you don't have the money means that you haven't done and planned and executed to create that money. And I mean that in a harsh way. If I need to make $50,000 and I'm constantly applying for $25,000 jobs, then that's a problem. If I need to make $50,000 and I haven't done everything to find out how many jobs are there out there that pay that, that I may need no other qualification than what I can do, we can seek out the information to make these things happen. And we also have to seek out the institutions that are going to be honest with us. Because what you may have mentioned when you talk about paperwork, there's a difference between down payment and closing costs. So understanding the whole terms and conditions. So the real question you ask someone is, what is it going to take for me to get in a house? What are all of the programs that you have available? And what's the least amount of money that I need? Ask the questions to your specific situation. I want to have the least amount of money that I want to put down. I want to get the best rate. Tell me what you have. Now I have to take those numbers and I have to plan inside of my situation. How do I make that money available? The other problem, again, is so we don't get $10,000 when we get married as, as from our parents to go buy a house. We don't get a house that our parents gave us when we get married. Now, some may, but that's kind of, again, one of those things that have hindered us as folk. So we have to just plan it and make it happen. And if we die trying, at least we die trying. Good, good point. Good point. And, you know, the reason why I brought that up is because, like I said, when I'm talking to a lot of brothers, whether I'm at work, whether just in the community, they always say, yeah, man, you know, buying a house, man, you know, my credit score is not good enough. Uh, and, you know, I don't Fix really, it. I don't have the extra money. Right. So, right. and, I, I, and I agree with Corey because it's, it's like 
listening to you, it, I, I agree with what you're saying, but you know, in order to, I feel to break that mentality of the slave mentality and generational poverty, you know, people try to live above their means, right? So you say go buy a house, but why would I want to live in the projects? That's where I grew up. I want my kids to live in a better life, but I can't afford that better life, that house in Windermere, where they're going to get a great education. You know, so it's like, do I gamble and get the house in the hood? That's going to grow, you know, uh, the assets going to grow small, you know, versus the house in Windermere. It's like, you know, pros and cons to home ownership as well. No, I'll so tell you, you what to, you do, bro. You, so in that case, in that case, the plan is rent a house in the area that you want to be in and work your plan to buy that house. Rent to own. You know, there are at least buy options. Right. Yes. Good point. Good point made there, brother. Okay. And, you know, lastly, before we open it all the way up, you know, because I'd like to get the questions that the community asks. So whenever we have a speaker, I ask folks in the community, well, because, you know, the thing I, I learned about us as Black folks is a lot of us never talk to a financial advisor. They never talk to a lawyer, never talk to an accountant before. So, you know, the beauty of this show is we're bringing that experience to you, you know, um, so lastly, you know, when we're still, you know, on the home ownership realm, um, you know, I also hear brothers saying, okay, I would like to buy a house, but, you know, I'm renting this apartment, you know, I have a few kids and on what I'm making right now, I'm tight in this apartment. So how is a house even possible if I'm tight in this apartment? So again, I'm a hard ass in terms of there are always opportunities out there. And I just want to make sure that we as Black people are dying trying. So one of the things I find is I got a young, my godson just graduated from college and he did no research on what jobs pay and, and understanding if I need to make $50,000, what jobs are paying that? And then it, it, you don't always have to have a degree to get a job paying whatever money you need. First, you want to find out what, what can I do and are there jobs out there? Do I need to go back and get re-educated? Do I know, need to go back and get retrained? What do I need to do to put myself in the position? If I can't, then I have to say, okay, what am I spending my money on? Because money is meant to be spent. What assets am I accumulating? The basic needs have to be first and foremost. But once I've satisfied my basic needs, if I can skinny everything down to my basic needs in terms of my expenses, will I have enough money to move me beyond that situation? And so part of what I do is help to plan that based on tell me what you have, tell me how, because everybody is different. So what I would make available is I can be a resource, not on a regular and consistent basis, but I can be a resource to answer these questions and point you in the general direction, but then each person has to do the specifics for where they are, whether it's state, whether it's, is there a person in my area that does what you're talking about? But I can also say, well, here's how you find that person. The information is out there and available. We have to go around, go about the task of making it happen. We have to go about the task of supporting each other and what type of money am I making? And how can I make additional money? Is there a side hustle I could do to make that additional money? My godson just went out to do DoorDash. There's Uber, there's Lyft. There's all, all these ways to make additional revenue. It starts with a plan. And that's what I would encourage. Great stuff, great stuff. Um, okay, and you know, we've talked about um, 
home ownership, land ownership. Um, what other avenues, when we're talking about generational wealth and just wealth building, what other avenues are there that we should be looking for, looking at? Because, like I said, we normally hear of home ownership. We normally hear stocks. Those are the top two. Is there any other area that we're not mentioning that you know we should be looking into as well as black men? So in terms of the accumulation phase, the reason we always talk about a home is because that also is part of your basic needs. A dwelling is part of your basic needs. So you're serving a multiple, um, when you buy your house, you've covered both. I have a roof over my head and I have an asset that I can use to accumulate additional assets, pass on to my kids. While we're accumulating those assets, though, we have to figure out what are we doing with the dollars. And so if I have kids, the first thing I'm going to do is say, what college do I want to send them to? And how much do I need to set aside starting from birth? We shouldn't be buying these crazy toys for one-year-olds that they're never going to know or remember. Start a college fund when your child is born and have everybody put money into that college fund right up until the age that that child knows toys and then you can get them toys. But from one to three, I wouldn't be buying toys. I would be starting a college fund. Second, as soon as your child knows the difference between a quarter and a dollar, start to talk to them about how those monies are spent and start to have the conversations that we're having now with your children. Let them know what your bills are. Let them know what your income is. Let them know how you use that income to pay your bills. We have a secrecy thing where we don't talk about wealth. I got mine, you get yours. So we don't pass that information on and we really don't pass it down to our kids in most cases because we feel like that's none of your business, but it's actually training them on how to manage a house. And then once you get to that point, you have to sit down and say, are there anything that I'm spending money on that I can reduce or eliminate that can be used toward this savings? And that's where you have to start to say, I've got to plan that. On your job, do they offer something like a 401k that allows you to reduce your taxes and increase your retirement income? Do you have an insurance that has a life, uh, uh, has a, a cash value associated with it that allows you to both protect your life and increase your assets at the same time by having an investment account associated with it? Once you've accumulated enough assets, then you're starting looking at, and the reason why we use stocks, we are a consumer-based uh, country, and we will never stop buying goods and services. Stocks are merely the companies that provide the goods and services that we consume. So it is in our best interest to try to keep track of where are people spending money the most and where are people likely to spend the most money in the future. You start your investments where people are spending money the most so that you have a core portfolio. Once that core portfolio is in place, it will continue to grow as long as those products and services are used. Then as they grow, you use the growth of that core portfolio to branch out and do other things. I bought Apple, it doubled, I sold half of it and I used that money to buy my first house for down payment on my house. I sold something else, I used that money to buy something else because instead of just being in technology, I wanna be in industry. So now I need to understand what are the different areas that we spend money and then start to focus your investments on that and don't feel like you have to put a lot of money aside because there are ways to invest smaller dollars. But understand what you're investing in and don't go for the get rich quick schemes. Don't look at, hey, you can make a lot of money in Forex. Hey, you can make a lot of money in Bitcoin. 
invest in what you know first. I'm gonna buy toilet paper as long as I'm eating. So I'm gonna know the companies that we use as basics. Everybody has some sort of phone, so I'm gonna invest in a phone company that I feel comfortable is still gonna be in business. We need to move goods and services back and forth, so I'm gonna invest in a company that I know moves services back and forth. We need healthcare, so I'm gonna invest in at least one company that I know that provides healthcare. We need materials to make things happen, so I'm gonna invest in one company that provides materials. That's what we mean by a portfolio. I've got some money in all of the areas that we work in. It will shift from time to time. So you're accumulating stocks, you're accumulating real estate, you're also looking to have things like certificates of deposit that allows your money to, um, if you don't have a specific need, the bank will use that money and pay you a little bit more than if it was just sitting in your savings account. So understanding the difference between interest rates, which is what they're going to pay you for the use of their money, and also what you're going to pay for the use of other people's money, and a growth over time, which is what is it about this product, service, or thing that's going to make it more valuable over time. Homes are always considered to be more valuable over time because you're always going to need a place to stay. But if the house is not kept up, it's not going to increase in value. So those are some of the basic things. And then making sure that you have some sort of plan in place for not just your savings, which is what you need for the next one to three years, but also your investments, which is what, what money have I put for that five to seven years down the road? And then how am I protecting the things in the middle, either using bonds or certificates or deposits that don't go all over the place, but do create some sort of income. And real estate also creates some sort of income because you're collecting rents, unless you're flipping real estate, which means now you're looking at the growth of that, excuse me, in value. So you want your money to either sit still and be available, be out there and available to sit for longer than three to five years and grow, or be in the middle and maintain some sort of stability and some sort of income so that if I need it, it's not decreasing in value greatly. It's providing me some sort of monthly, quarterly, or annual income. And at some point, I'm going to get my money back if everything goes the way I plan. Okay. And, you know, while we're on the stock conversation, um, should we, because I, I hear some brothers say, you know, I'm, you know, playing. I, I know when the, the Dogecoin was doing good, like my man Judd just asked a question. He's a big um, Bitcoin kind of guy. Surprised he hadn't asked the Bitcoin question yet. Um, but then there's also guys like me who, you know, I try to look for the dividend plays. Okay, dividend is this. Okay, I'm I'm trying to beef up over the years for that dividend. That you know, quarterly dividend looks good. So, um, with your expertise, what what would you say to as far as that? Should we? dividend chase who we you know how should we effectively because that my first year in the stocks i was buying i bought netflix i bought i bought like 20 stocks but the problem is i only bought one share of each and then my second year i said okay i'm gonna keep what i have and i'm gonna just try to get 20 of each one so what advice would you give as far as that goes you were on the right track with buying one stock of 20 companies you just had them all in one sector. So when I was talking about the different sectors, growth means it's a company that's constantly trying to improve their product. And so you're never going to uh, not want to get the new product because it's always going to be better than the last product. So those are what we call discretionary dollars. So when I'm investing clients' monies, the first thing I'm looking at in the total economy is where are we in the cycle of the economy, okay? 
Are we at that point where, hey, we just came out of a bottom and now we're accumulating goods and services because everybody's getting back to work? Well, now that we've all accumulated the most we can, we start to stagnate. Now folks are getting laid off because they're not buying as many products. So when that happens, you're not buying phones at this point. You're like, yeah, things are grooving. We're back to work. I'm going to give me an iPhone and give me a couple of cars. Wait a minute. I just got laid off. Do we have bread? Do we have toilet paper? Do we have those dividend paying things? Because if I'm selling toilet paper, I can't do much with it. So for me to attract dollars, I have to pay you for the use of your money. That's what dividend stocks do. So I want to have some companies that like, look, when things go wrong, you boys are going to be around. And your toilet paper is not going to drop precipitously. You know, it's going to go down or it's going to go up just a little bit. And it'll go up pretty much consistent with the cost of living. Those other things that give you growth, it's because, hey, when, when we're booming, everybody's going to buy this. And I need to take advantage of that cycle. And once they've gotten to that point, I'm going to take what I've earned and I'm going to sell. If it was one share of Apple and it doubled, I'm selling that share of Apple. And now I'm buying toilet paper because now we're going into what looks like a recession or a downward trend. And if I'm not buying anything, I'm going to leave it in cash. Why? Because cash doesn't move. So what I do for my clients is when we reach a peak in the market, I start selling all of the winners, not all of them. But if I only have one share, I'm going to sell that one share. Look, Amazon doubled. We only had one share in Amazon. I sold it. Why? You doubled your money. Now, that money is going to either sit there for either your personal use or to purchase additional stocks or whatever. But we always are having a conversation on what do you need that money to do. So that plan also means that when I bought Amazon, what did I want that money to do? Now that I've made that money, is it to buy a house or is it to continue to buy additional assets in other areas? I'm going to take my Amazon money now and I'm going to buy Coca-Cola and I'm going to buy me some Procter & Gamble. And then if that happens to pay me some dividends, I'm going to let those dividends accumulate in the cash. I'm not going to spend them. Now they're just accumulating, providing me more money to go out and say, okay, I don't own anything in this area. What's a good health company? Now I need to be in health. So you're talking about building a portfolio over time. If it's one stock at a time, it's like, okay, if I got one company in this area, now I'm going to try to get another company in this area. That's what I meant by have a traditional portfolio first. We tend to go to Bitcoin first. And that's like going from kindergarten to college. You're in college and you haven't even gone to kindergarten. Can anybody explain to me what Bitcoin is and how it works and what the underlying value of Bitcoin is? And if you can, you're a genius. It's a cryptocurrency that is supposed to be used worldwide, that is supposed to eliminate the bank. What's um, the underlying value? The, um, the mining of the, of the underlying value is that yes. it's no middleman, it's no bank, you know? It's no institution. When you buy a house, and here's what I mean by the underlying value. The home is the underlying value. The, the wood, everything. With Bitcoin, if I put a dollar in, how can a dollar, if I give you a dollar and I walk in the store, how can you now tell me that it's worth 50000 What is that based on? What made that dollar now really be worth 50000 Because here's what I mean. 
if everybody on the planet sold all their homes, there would still be houses. If you sold all your Bitcoin, last person out got screwed. Because if I put a dollar in, I'm supposed to get a dollar out. Here's what I have a problem with cryptocurrency. There is no underlying value. The value will be maintained as long as people continue to use it. So to the extent that it will be continued to be used, I will say that, yes, if I had a solid portfolio, I would have some money in Bitcoin, but it's not regulated. And so it's really a dark money phenomenon that is catching on in the, the light of day. And at some point, I agree with you, it will be beneficial. But right now, it's a bit of a Ponzi scheme. I'm loving what he's, you know, preaching. It's just, you know, it's just, I think it's tough to overcome that generational poverty like you, Corey. I mean, I have a testimony too. So growing up, you know, my parents, they never bought a brand new car off the lot, you know, because, you know, it's huge drive off the lot, it's worth $10,000 less. So my dad always brought like, uh, you know, uh, used cars that would last probably six months. He has to always get them fixed. So my mentality growing up was kind of the same way. I never, I, could, I couldn't afford a brand new car. I'm telling myself, even though I have a decent job, go get a used car. Um, my parents are always saying, yeah, um, keep your credit, you know, good. So don't, you know, you may not want to go out and purchase and get big things because people judge you off your credit. You need to have a good credit score. So therefore your credit cards and stuff must be aligned. So like you said, that's, like you said, that's kind of like slave mentality. And I don't want to teach my kids that as well. You know, I want to tell them to take risks but at the same time, be cautious. So how do you like propose, like we, we stop that in the black community? Understanding the cost of money and the growth of money. Credit is a necessary tool. I'm never, I mean, I shouldn't say never. My goal is to get to the point where I'm completely liquid and have more than enough assets to cover everything. So I don't worry about credit. And that means that I'm looking and saying, okay, I've got the money, but my money's growing at 5%. And you're saying I can borrow yours at two. I'm gonna use your money. My growing's at two, my money is growing at 2%. Nah, maybe that's not what I want to do. I'll go ahead and use my own. If you're charging me five and my money's not growing at a faster pace, I'll use my own money instead of getting indebted to you. If I have to be in debt, then I just need to have a plan for how do I pay that debt off. So talking to your kids about the proper use of credit, because credit is part of the accumulation phase. So establishing credit doesn't mean you buy used stuff. My dad actually taught me the opposite. Buy a brand new vehicle, take care of it, and it should last for 10 plus years so that you no longer have a car payment. Right. You've budgeted enough for a car payment for five years, and now you've got five to seven years. If you do nothing more than change the oil and keep the gas at more than half a tank. So there are ways that you can do these things. And now you've got a brand new vehicle that because it's brand new, you can monitor the maintenance as long as you do and keep up the maintenance. It should be a vehicle that you've done research on that has the ability to last 10 plus years. So it's more of an investment as opposed to a flossing type of situation. With regards to credit, teach your kids about credit early on. Okay, you have an allowance, but whatever you're asking for costs you more to that. So what do you want to borrow a dollar from me? If you borrow a dollar, I'm charging you 10%. So you got to pay me back a dollar 10. Talk to them about that. And that's what I meant by also, we don't talk to our kids about our bills so they don't have any concept. We don't talk to our kids about our struggles so they don't have any concept on how to overcome it. 
we never talked about money in my family. My dad was a banker and that was the opening of my life when it was like, wow, you're a banker. And he still only understood banking. When my dad passed and I had an opportunity to get an investment. That's a whole different world that we would never really talk about. So having an opportunity to learn first about investments and then getting the whole training on how to keep wealthy people wealthy. I sat in the back corner and said, oh, I'm going to suck this up and I'm going to give this to everybody that is not wealthy so that they have the blueprint and the book on how to gain wealth. And so to your point, we actually had a financial literacy program at the firm that I worked at that we were supposed to use to help our wealthy clients' children understand. I'm out here teaching this to the Black kids in the community. I'm out here providing this to the mentors so that, look, I got this book and I'm gonna share it with you. Now it's more widely available and you can find this type of information on the internet. But back then it was only and exclusively available to ultra high net worth individuals. So one thing I would say is to um, go online and look up anything financial literacy wise. Your local bank will have some sort of basic financial literacy game program or whatever online where you can start to use that to teach your kids about the difference between a dollar and a quarter, the difference between savings and investing, the difference between wants and needs, and the difference in understanding how to calculate interest rates because we don't really do percentages well. Percentages are more relative than dollars. If I've got a million dollars, I'm not looking at and saying, dang, I lost $500 and I'm crushed. I'm looking at I lost $500 and that's a small percentage of my million. If all I have is $500 and I lose $500, I'm crushed. That's 100%. So that's what I mean by understanding the relativity of percentages in terms of how much are they charging me to use their money and how much are they paying me if I let them hold and or invest my money. And that's how you bridge that gap between savings and borrowing and then start to talk to your kids about that so they understand cost of money and growth of money. And then use those principles on them starting at an early, early age. I work for a news station and we are doing a, we did a panel the other day and it, where we had, you know, in Orlando, the markets are really high. It's about 1800 a month for an apartment right now um, in a decent neighborhood. So what a lot of people are starting to do is they're starting to buy homes and land trusts. Any advice for that? Yeah, you're a fan of that. You against it. Um, how do you feel about the land trust movement to get middle class citizens like people we've interviewed have been a lot of school teachers, Disney workers, universal employees that, you know, are living in Winter Park, Florida, but under the land trust, they're not having to deal with the, um, you know, the as the uh, the rates go up the property value goes up, they're not dealing with that. The property value stays the same for them. However, you know, in our research, we found if you add a pool, if you do any upgrades to it and you sell it, it doesn't, you don't really get the equity from that. But you're putting people in a house who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford one in their neighborhood. So what's your advice on that movement? It depends on the purpose. Now, if I'm gonna buy a house, I wanna have the ability for it to increase in value. 
I don't want to have limitations on the increase in value. Now, there's no right or wrong to anything. Let me be clear. There is no right or wrong to anything. By that, I mean, if your purpose is to own a home and that's how you're going to be able to own the home, understand, okay, now that I'm in here, what are the things that can allow me to lose this home? And have I got all of those things covered? If I do a land trust, is my primary goal to get into a house, meaning that I'm not at that stage in my life where I need to have a house that accumulates and grows. So maybe that works perfect for me, but it may not work for somebody else. So each person has to find what's specific to their needs. And you also have to make sure, is this going to match both my current needs and is, is it going to hinder my future needs? Meaning those limitations you mentioned, okay, then I don't put a pool in. Well, am I somebody that I want a pool? Well, then I don't want to use that because it's not good for me because it's hindering me. Or I just need a house. I just need a place to lay my head and I want to own it. And that might work. So it's not so much a right or wrong. I would have to listen to each person's individual circumstance. I would have to look at the terms and conditions of each individual. Then I would have to make that decision based on that. Great point. I just wanted to mention that a lot of times what I try to do is I try to relate what I'm doing during my work week and I make a mention on the show so the fact that we're talking about that just uh led great hands to that so that's a good point because i i hear so many brothers and sisters all the time saying i want to buy a house but you know again i don't have thousands of dollars laying around to i, I don't have five hundred dollars to get an appraised i don't have this and then they immediately it's not an option but then in the same sentence when we're talking about generational wealth that needs to be obtained. So uh, that's why I keep wanting to hammer that. And I apologize if I'm being repetitive, but I just feel like the home ownership sector of the generational wealth is so important, but there's so many of brothers and sisters that don't believe that it's attainable. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with you, Corey, to, and to piggyback on that. So it's like, you know, you say buy a house and I, like, I agree, but then you have some people with that condition I'm not going to buy a house in the hood when Ladiba was going to ride by and steal my kid's bike off the porch. I don't want to, I'd rather rent in a, at a decent area versus buying a house, but I, which I can only afford in the hood. So it's like, it's kind of like pros and cons to it that people, you know, try to weigh and make the best decision for themselves. The problem with buying property, period, is that you don't want it to decrease in value. So every hood is not decreasing in value. Just because it's in the hood doesn't mean it's, you know, now there are some hoods where it's like, no, I just don't want to live here because it's only decreasing in value. But, you know, there are still some places where you can buy a small, little, whatever, whatever, but it's in a neighborhood that it is kept up well. And when I sell it, I'm going to make more money and buy another house or I'm going to use that house because I've paid it off as leverage to move to a better neighborhood. But owning something at least gives you leverage. If you can own it and pay it off, and if it has any value once it's paid off, that value can be used as leverage to accumulate additional assets. That's why it's important to just own something that you can start to leverage. When you're talking about buying real estate, you buy one property, pay it off, and then you use the loans of that property to buy additional properties. But you start with getting one solid asset that has been paid off and well-kept and leverage it. 
regardless of where it is. And if you can stay there, that's a twofer. Yeah, I definitely agree. Another question for you. Have you ever heard of a, a real estate guru by the name of um, Grant Cardone? No. Okay. Well, he has a YouTube channel. He, for some reason, I forgot why, he preaches that people should lease versus buy. But I'm thinking he's saying that because of his own personal benefit, because he's a, he owns like apartment complexes and things like that. So I, I couldn't see the benefit of lease to buy. I think he was just saying at least for your entire life. You know, he's, he was talking about how he rents all the houses and stuff of, of his own. Yeah, man. Because of the buying. <laughs> man, the Constitution was not written for leasing, bro. The whole Constitution and our whole government is centered around property ownership. Please understand that, people. I got a problem with anybody telling you to let some, to not own something. Leasing forever? He's lying to you first and foremost because he owns something. I'm just guessing. I agree. He owns a rental property. So uh, he wants people to fall for the trap and keep renting because that's why how he makes his money. So, yes, I agree with you. Anybody telling you don't own, run as fast as you can. Yeah, Joe, I feel like, you know, piggyback off what you're saying, that guy's basically trying to, you know, get into the minds of the renters saying, you know what, rent for me, don't buy. You filling his pockets up. So, if you yeah. understand where leasing actually is helpful, and this is from a business standpoint, my cash flow supports leasing. My cash flow does not support owning and maintenance. I can afford to lease for this building, but I can't afford to own it right now. But I'm going to lease this building until my business creates enough revenue to own it. Leasing. I'm 75 years old. I've made all the money I need to make. I don't even want to have a, 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 a car maintenance. So I lease my car for the rest of my life because I can afford the car payment. I don't have any other business. So I'm leasing because I don't want the maintenance. I need not own a, a car because I own everything else I need. I'm a doctor. My practice has not gotten quite where it needs to be. So I'm leasing the equipment because my cash flow can pay the lease. But when my balance sheet is printed out, it's not a helping me one bit in terms of my wealth generation. All it's doing is supporting my cash flow. That's the only time leasing benefits you versus home. I don't have the cash to support the full ob obligations of ownership, but I can certainly afford this cash flow to get the benefit of usage without the maintenance. That's the renting is the same thing. I may not have the dollars to own, but I don't have enough money to keep it up and maintain it. So until I do, I'll rent or lease. When you say save money, I think the one thing that gets the black culture kind of uh, confused is that we, you know, we tend to judge people on what they wear, drive, things like that. So you know, in order to get your foot in the door in some places, you have to lease that BMW or rent that you know, um, rent that house and. Windermere and buy the thousand dollar suit so it's like it's tough to save and try to portray that image at the same time in order to you know compete with the joneses are you know uh, stay up with the kardashians things like that so i think once black people start to understand that that's not really the way to go we'll be in a better place as well you know it's funny i worked at a bank and if you see these rich white people that walk in you would have no idea that they were rich the richest white client i had and look at warren buffett this in the same house he built. He drives a station wagon, you know, for you lack of a better word. 
But that's the difference between old money and new money. And that's the difference between wealthy and rich. Rich people want you to see it. Wealthy people, you don't need to see it. I like that. That's a nice uh, analogy. I like that. Yeah, you know, it's black. Yeah, I don't want people to know how rich I am. I want you to know how wealthy I am. And I'll tell you the difference. The definition of wealth is your assets minus your liabilities equals your net worth. If I have only make $500 and I have no debt, and if I make a million dollars and I have $2 million in debt, that $5 million guy is wealthier than that million dollar guy. And you will look at that million dollar guy and think that he has more, that he's, he's rich. That guy that's making 500 is wealthy because his debt exceeds his income. And that's what wealth is built on, having assets that are greater than your liabilities. Since we're on that topic, you know, I've heard some financial advisors, even some accountants say, listen, when you get your paycheck, invest more than you save, because when you're saving it in your savings account, that money's just sitting. Then I've heard some other say, no, save more than you invest. So, you know, I feel like, how do you feel about that? Sure. There's no right or wrong. Here's the difference between saving and investing. Saving means that I want to be able to walk in and walk out with that money, period. Investing means that I at least am going to give myself 12 to 18 months to let this money sit and grow. Now, I'm telling you 12 to 18 months because we're just having a general conversation. If I was in what my whole suited financial advisor thing, I'm supposed to tell you it needs to be at least three to five plus years. And the reason that is, is because if you don't have somebody helping you through that three-year cycle, and if we haven't gone through a full economic cycle, I don't know whether you came in on the bottom or the top. And so you might end up coming into a losing situation if I tell you 12 to 18 months. But you should really always say, what are my basic needs for the next one to three years? And that has to go into a savings account. Because if something happens, I need to be able to walk in and walk out. There are statistics, and I'm not going to ever have six months worth of my income in a savings account. What I'm going to try to do is make sure that from a percentage, and the Bible talks about that. Can I take 10% of whatever I'm making and just set it aside and try not to touch it until I need it? And that's what I consider to be savings. Is there any money that I can set aside? Also part of a plan. Um, what are we going to do in the next one to two years? That money has to stay in the savings account. I'm not going to jeopardize that money in the fluctuations of the stock market. For my clients, I ask them what are their goals over the next one to three years, and all that money in the next first two years has to stay in the stock, in the cash, in your bank account, but don't send it to me. I'm your two-year-plus guy. If you need this money in under two years, don't send it to me. Now I won't, because I, I can't give it enough time to do what it needs to do in terms of investing. And you have to get through at least a full cycle before you benefit from investing. Because you've either gone up and never seen it go down, or you've gone down and it hasn't gone up yet. Where we start to make our money is once you make that first dip, it always recovers a little higher. So that's when you want to invest. I've got the time. And you also want to make sure because prices are continuing to increase, savings accounts stay flat. So your purchasing power of those dollars also makes a difference between saving versus investing. If I put a dollar aside for stamps in a savings account, I'm not going to be able to buy a stamp because stamps are going up faster than what they're paying you in a savings account. So you have to consider the time with which you need those dollars back also.
there's also a few business owners on the line. My wife has the LLC. Um, a few brothers on here have the LLC. My wife also has an incorporation now. Um, are there any taxes that you have to pay by just having the LLC or do you have to, you know, get some sales first before you pay or do you, okay, I have an LLC now. Do I have to pay something if I don't sell anything in my business? So first, no, because the only time you pay taxes is if you have income. So if you've generated no income, there are no taxes. But I would encourage anybody that has started the business to pay the money for an accountant, not a tax preparer, an accountant. Because an accountant is trained to provide advice and to keep up with the changing legislation associated with business owners. Tax preparers will be able to tell you it goes in this box and here's how much you owe or don't owe. So even if you get someone, um, I would ask that question, do you provide advice? And then they are supposed to be the ones that say, and if you do, guide me through whatever my LLC and whatever I'm doing. My accountant helped me go from just getting started in the business to now you need to change from here to no, you need to have your deductions here to no, you need to consider doing this. So he's constantly giving me advice on how to get through that process, how to reduce taxes, what taxes are due and keep track of it. Um, he offered to me the name of someone who could help me with the QuickBooks type thing. So find somebody like that that is a resource that's within your cost level, but at least is going to provide you more advice uh, from a tax. I'm not allowed to give tax advice because I'm not a tax consultant. And that's why I hire uh, an accountant. And either have some sort of, whether it's a lawyer or that you belong to some sort of law program, that's, that's contractual, like a contract lawyer to help you with whatever your business is so that you can stay um, stay legal and have good legal recourse as well. So I have a good attorney or legal service and I'm an accountant that uh, provides uh, advice, not just a tax preparer. We got you. Okay, yeah, that question was from my wife. She was walking by listening and she said, ooh, ask this for me, ask this for me. So that was for her. She has LLC, um, matter enter in the corporation. Uh, Matter of fact, our accountant that normally is on this line, he was a guest speaker and she heard him speak and she she's been using his services since. So um, I appreciate that advice because um, so basically just to clarify, if I'm a business owner, you you suggest even if I say, you know what, I can do my own accounting, you still recommend getting an accountant. Yeah. How often do you keep up with the changing IRS regulation? So if you really want to, I mean, you'll be fine, but I want somebody that's, you know, it's your job. In fact, as a part of your job, you're required to go back and get continuing education on, on changing policies and procedures. A tax preparer really just has to go and know where to fill in the boxes. And you can do that on your own. We can all do that. We can get a program and fill in the boxes. That's not the issue. Somebody needs to be able to tell you, you need to increase your withholding. You need to decrease your withholding. You need to um, change from an S-Corp to a C-Corp. Uh, you know, because all of that has to do with how is it flowing through to your individual tax situation. Because your company taxes are, 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 are usually minimum compared to they flow through to your individual. And you're trying to minimize whatever that burden is or maximize whatever that benefit is. And that's where the accountant helps you. Am I S-Corp? Am I a C-Corp? Do I pay myself? 
do I 1099 myself? Do I W-2 myself? Am I creating a retirement account for myself where I need to have so much, you know, or am I working in my LLCs on the side and I need balance between my 401k or I can put more money aside in myself when I don't have enough money to do this, you know, so there are a host of things that, that the accountant can do. I appreciate you, Mr. Stevens, being real informative. And my pleasure. And you, brothers, I am a resource. So absent this call, get my information from Corey. And uh, any questions you have individually, just hit me up. And, and, we'll and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction if I can't help you. Will do. And Corey, if they want me to send them specific information, get their email addresses and whatnot. Because so, even he, he was asking about Bitcoin, I can send them our information that we have on what we think about Bitcoin. So I didn't want to bombard this presentation, this moment, but I want to let you guys know anything like that that you need, hit me up and I'll provide you with that more on a one-on-one -on -one basis than just have confusing this, 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 what you have set up here. Perfect. Perfect. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, sounds like that's a wrap. Uh, Brother Stevens, I appreciate you spending time with us today. You know, like I tell our guests, you could be anywhere, you know, but you spend some time with the black men on Sundays at four o'clock. So I appreciate you. And yes. thanks for the advice. Thanks for the encouragement. Just, you know, thanks for the knowledge. Um, and, you know, brothers will probably contact me wanting your information. So I'll, with your permission, like you already gave, um, if you guys want to, you know, connect with this brother, get at me after the show. And I can um, get you that information. And with that said, information is free, Corey. I want. I love what we're doing because again, this is what we do not do. So I applaud you, brothers, on this. And I also encourage you to come up with a plan on how can you pool your dollars together to make something happen collectively. Mm. Can you guys buy a building if each of you put in a thousand dollars? You know what I'm saying? Just, just throwing stuff out there in ways of thinking. If you've yeah. got this together, com group committed. Maybe commit some dollars to a common goal. Great advice. Great advice. All right. Great peace and blessings, brother. Peace, peace out, brother Stevens. And I thank you for your time and your day. Absolutely. Be well.